Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Here to begin with week 15 of the series that is Amazing Love. And we are reading from the seventh chapter of Gospel of John, which is the first century biography about uh, about Jesus. So here it goes. We're reading from the seventh chapter verses starting from 25th till 39th. So it goes like, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him? Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But well, we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look, look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go and we cannot find him? Where he go, where our people will live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks. What did he mean when he said, you look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let us bow our heads in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for this beautiful word that you've given. And while we will be spending our next couple of minutes in your presence. We pray, Lord, let the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon us. Teach us, my Father, and let this word be sowed in our hearts so that when we go back, my Father, we do not go empty, but filled with your grace and the guidance, my Lord, so that the seeds that we are sowed with may bear fruits for your glory and your kingdom purpose. So each and every one be able to magnify your name and glorify your name through our lives and our families. Together we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Wonderfully read to us this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, good to be with us this morning and looking at such an uh, important passage of Scripture. Um, I thought maybe I'll just begin by uh, talking about where I've just, Helen and I have just come from. Uh, we've uh, had the privilege of being in Cyprus for uh, 10 days at a global conference. 
um, Howard was talking about new frontiers, and so maybe online and people who perhaps you're a visitor. Um, Westminster Chapel uh, doesn't belong to a denomination per se, it belongs to a movement of churches which um, is connected to a trunk of a tree called New Frontiers and a branch of that is commission and at the end of the branch is some fruit which Westminster Chapel is one of the churches of it. It's a bit echoey isn't it? Do I need to um, use the handout? Where's the experts around? Or is that okay? Keep going, yeah, that's fine. Um, and this global family we call New Frontiers has two and a half thousand churches right across all the nations of the world. And uh, for the very first time, I think, uh, it was led historically by Terry Virgo, and for the very first time, he, he was saying at the end of this conference, it was probably one of the most remarkable conferences he'd ever been to. And the reason for that is we heard, had the privilege of beaming in to underground churches all over the parts of the world that we might pray for on a regular basis, which because of their danger, I won't mention by name, but parts of Asia, uh, parts of the Middle East, um, things like yeah, that. Yeah, we, we were able to beam into the underground church in certain parts of the world and uh, hear about how the gospel is spreading so fast. We had a guy in the Middle East who leads a church and uh, he said, I'm going to be sharing and as I do so, I've got some slides and video coming up and this is what goes on weekly outside our church building. And the video was the most harrowing video you've ever seen of a car bomb that had just gone out and bodies everywhere. And he lives every day with threats for his life. And he says, I cannot leave this nation because God is doing such amazing things beneath the surface. We had another very close brother of ours sharing how one of his pastors, a commissioned pastor, had been thrown into prison without any trial or anything like that. And he'd gone up to visit this pastor and the group of pastors in this part of his nation. And he said there wasn't a pastor who couldn't pull away their t-shirts and show the beatings that they had received uh, as they preached the gospel. It was quite remarkable that as we heard story after story, and in the room were Ukrainians and Russian leaders. The Russian leaders had come thinking, were they even going to be welcome in the tears of embrace and love that was expressed between God's family were truly remarkable. And we just thank God that we are part of a global movement. And if you ever think about what's going on in the rest of the world, and see the headlines and everything else. Know this, the Church of Jesus Christ is prospering. It's doing incredibly well. And when we sing that song, and the Church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame, that Spirit, that flame, the Gospel truth unleashed is, is reaping a massive harvest that we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. I mean, Heather and I walked out of every meeting saying, I don't even feel I'm a Christian. Because these people were saying, not only were they embracing suffering, they were saying, Christ is worth it. This is how the gospel is going to advance. It's through the blood of the martyrs. It's the seed of the church. 
And so, brothers and sisters, as we come to this message this morning, let us be open to all God wants to do with us because we might not face persecution in that same way, but we will face persecution. To declare the praises of the one who is the only way, the truth and the life, is going to invite persecution. And if we're going to live this life that is going to transform London and transform our nation, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is our topic this morning. And boy, do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was coming back on the plane. I don't know if you like flying. I hate flying. I always have this dilemma with flying about how much to drink. Because if you're sitting on the inside row next to the f- nice view, you're going to be a pain in the neck if you want to get up to the bathroom, aren't you? Four-hour flight, and you're thinking, I don't want to drink too much because I don't want to get out. And everyone touch. You notice that when you get out? Excuse me. Excuse me. Just need the loo. And if you do it twice, it's, what's wrong with you? Got a bladder problem? No, no. I'm just... I normally get up three times just to exercise my legs. And everyone's looking at me as if I'm a, some sort of weirdo. But did you know the inside of a cabin of an aircraft that you're looking at has 12% humidity? The Sahara Desert is 25% humidity, just to give you an idea. It's dry in there. When they give the old instructions about putting on your harness and things like that, they should all be saying, by the way, you need to drink loads of water because it's dry in here. And you think, well, it might be a bit dry, but the, the problem with dryness is your eyeballs start to dry up and go bloodshot. Your skin starts to deteriorate like putty. You get migraines, you get big problems in terms of jet lag. You're open to infections, circulation problems, many people DVT. It's a, it's a nightmare flying. And one of the things they never tell you is drink lots of water because you need to. And if that's true in the physical sense, how much more true is the spiritual sense of you and I in our life living for God? That we are meant to be men and women of the Holy Spirit. We're meant to be serious drinkers of the Holy Spirit. Not saying, think I can do a sip and maybe we can get by in the week. I don't want to disturb anybody or make a saying. We're not meant to be like that. We're meant to be people who only explanation for the way we live, only explanation for the way we give, only explanation for the way we are holy is the Holy Spirit. That's the only explanation for our life is that we are serious drinkers of the Holy Spirit. And when the bar is open, as it were, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, we are first up. We're first to have a drink. We're first to be, have our thirst quenched by the life-giving Spirit that Jesus talks about here in this incredible passage. So we must be people of the Spirit, is my encouragement to us this morning. Terry Virgo said it in the little brief testimony at Global. He said, we must not forget this. We are to be a people of the Spirit. If we haven't got the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. We are the people of God who are, whose birthright is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to declare the beautiful gospel. So this passage in, the, in this amazing love series, just to catch us up on the amazing love series, is talking about we must know 
who, first of all, we're coming to if we're to be filled with his promised Holy Spirit. We must know the person who is inviting us to drink. And that is what John, in his wonderful gospel, is a, it's a, such a powerful invitation for all of us to come and encounter Jesus Christ. John writes this gospel not so that you and I might have a a little view of Jesus, a little bit of Jesus, a Jesus that we can put into a a box that we understand. No, he writes this to invite us into a living, loving relationship with the God of the universe who holds all things in his powerful hands and sustains all things by his powerful word. There's an invitation John wants us to know. He said, not come to Buckingham Palace and hang around in the reception area oh there's Jesus I I got got a glimpse of I was in the same room as Jesus no this is to be filled with liquid love this is to know God intimately that John writes do I hear an amen? amen yeah that's good you know when you're with international people boy there's a lot more volume in a room you get a testimony and everyone's going, Amen, praise God. And you're thinking, wow, these people are alive. So John, in a very helpful way, has put up a number of signs. We've gone through them before, but they're signs of invitation, what it means to encounter Jesus. That It begins with water into wine. Just that alone is to challenge us. We're not meant to have a watered-down view of Christ. We're not meant to have a watered-down Christianity. We're meant to have spirit, wine, abundance, glorious, partying, full of the life of God type of experience the Church of Jesus Christ should be full of. And he talks through faith without sight. He talks with Do you want to get well? Loads and loads of signs. And then he comes to the feeding of the 5,000 where this huge multitude, probably 10,000 plus people, got fed with just a few loaves and a few fish. Jesus does way more than we ask or we can imagine. Way more. But as Jesus talked about being the bread of life, talking about him being the one who sustains our spiritual life, he talked about eating him and, and drinking his blood. And people thought, well, this is getting a bit heavy. And people withdrew. Some people thought, yeah, I'm not so sure. Others were very offended. Jesus starts using through John the words, I am. And of course, that's putting himself equal with God. And that's how we arrive in John chapter 7. Jesus is coming late to the festival, the festival of tabernacles. And uh, there's this, we we were entering into a sort of a world where people are falling out about who he is. The Jews, the the, the high-ranking Jews, the Pharisees and people say, well, hang on, his postcode isn't right. This guy comes from Galilee. I've just checked him out, looked at his driver's license, carpenter from mm, Galilee, doesn't say Bethlehem, so he can't be the Messiah, so let's rule him out. They're, they're, they're getting caught up on the minutiae, aren't they? You can read it in verse 7. We know where this man's from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. So there's an over-familiarity, which I think is one of the great dangers for us in the church today. I think we come in on a Sunday, we're familiar. Oh, it's him preaching. Oh, it's her leading worship. We get over-familiar. We're not expecting God to break out amongst us. 
And there were those who, who, who thought, you know, no, 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 he, he, he's not just flesh and blood. He, he, he's a spiritual man because we've seen him do these incredible miracles. And, and I've seen the bread multiply and I've, I've seen the guy get out of, his, out, of, out of his mat who was paralyzed and he's walking again. And, and, and there's an awful lot to say for this guy. There's a spiritual dimension. He might be a, a, a sort of a prophet. He might be a priest. And Jesus in these verses makes it very clear. Verse 28, Jesus says, yes, you know me and you know where I'm from in terms of my recent geography. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So here's revelation that Jesus is telling him. Yeah, you've seen me around Nazareth. You've seen me doing some miracles. You don't know where I am truly from. That beyond your sight, beyond what is visible, I was one who lived in eternity past for all eternity. And I have been sent from him, from the Father, on a rescue mission to planet Earth. That's who you're encountering, that's who you're dealing with, not just flesh and blood, but you're dealing with deity, you're dealing with God. John 8, 19 says, you do not know me or my father, if you knew me, you would know my father. Jesus says to see him is to see the father. There is not a God in the heavens who is not exactly like Jesus Christ. There is flesh and blood today in heaven the risen Lord Jesus Christ, whoever lives to intercede for us, he understands us through and through and has made a way for you and I to know God by his death, by his resurrection, by his divine exchange. Jesus is the genuine article. He's not like a God. He's not one of many gods. He's the only wise God. He is the one who has died that we might live. He is the one who has taken upon himself the sin of the world. Our sin, your sin, my sin. Everyone who would put their faith in him sin and dealt with it before the righteousness of his father. He died in our place. The death that we deserved. And he rose again to give us life we didn't deserve but has come to us full of grace. Jesus Christ is alive. He is the God-man. He is the way maker. He is the one who's made a way. There's nothing fake or, or phony about Jesus Christ. I love the way C.S. Lewis says, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. We need to just stop for a second before we come into what Jesus wants us to experience as his sons and daughters. And just pause for a moment and ask this question, do you know him? Do you know about him? 
know of him, but do you know him? What do I mean? I mean, does he know you? Have you invited him to your life? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you bowed the knee and said, Jesus, I surrender all. Thank you for dying for me. I put my trust in you. That's what it means to be a Christian. This opportunity this morning for you to know him and to come into his presence. But here's the point in this last part of the message. Knowing Jesus, what difference should it make? See, it's a room full of people that most of you say, yeah, I've become a Christian. I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. I've, I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I've asked him to forgive my sin and I, I've, I've said I'm going to trust him as my Lord and Saviour. But sadly, I would say this, for many evangelicals, it hasn't made the difference it should do. In 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 to, to 5, it talks about the last days, the terrible times in which we now are living in. And it says people have a form of godliness but denying its power. I want to be very, very honest with you this morning. I can have a form of godliness that does not lean into the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I can pretend. I pretend really well. I'm standing in front of you this morning. I can pretend that everything's hunky-dory, just got this sort of wonderful life with Jesus. Everything's easy. It's not. I walk with a limp. I have good days and I have bad days. I have days when I'm just gasping for more of God. I have days when I just run on ahead and don't think I need God in my life. Life is so wonderful. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Our gospel came to you not only with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. See, the gospel needs to come with power. It's not, you've been saved, now try and do your best and I'll see you in glory. That's not what Jesus is doing in heaven. Come on, try harder, try harder, try harder. No, he's saying, I have died, I have risen, I've ascended into the Father's right, right hand so I might pour out my Holy Spirit onto all my sons and daughters because this is their divine right this is their inheritance this is the promise of the father and this is the only way to live the Christian life to be filled with the Holy Spirit we must be a people of the Holy Spirit so let's look at these verses one at a time because this, these are beautiful simple even I can understand promises of God and accessing them for ourselves this morning. So who, first of all, in terms of the Holy Spirit, is invited? Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus said in a loud voice, that's why I'm using a loud voice this morning, let anyone, let anyone, let anyone. Who's anyone? Everyone. Not the spiritual, not the clever, not those who've got their life together, because we can get into this as evangelicals. I'm doing quite well at the moment. I've had quite a good moral week. I think I deserve a bit of the Holy Spirit. Now, anyone, have you messed up this week? Have you sinned spectacularly? Do you feel depressed, anxious, worried? 
Anyone. Anyone. Let anyone who's thirsty. Anyone. Please do not disqualify yourself from this message this morning. Please do not think, guy is speaking about that person next to me. They need this. No, you need this. You're an anyone. I'm an anyone. Secondly, qualification. What is the qualification? If anyone is what? Thirsty. That's the qualification. Anyone who's thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning? Thirsty for God. Thirsty to know God. Thirsty for more of God. You know, it is a shocking reality in our schools today that our children are being brought up to be taught they are nothing more than animals with base desires. They've got to be who they are, who they're biologically, DNA, who they're made to be. No, we need to teach our children that they are made in the image of God. But they are fallen. And there is a God-shaped hole in every human heart that only God can fill. There is a thirst in every single human soul that thirsts for significance, that thirsts for meaning, that thirsts for purpose, that thirsts for God. The world out there might not know it, but they're thirsting. They're drinking everything they can possibly throw down their necks, but it will not satisfy that thirst which can only be met in God. Are you thirsty this morning? I love the way it says uh, in Isaiah 55, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Come. Come is the invitation. You're thirsty this morning? Come. Come and be filled. Come and have your thirst satisfied. It is free. It is of grace. It is not a half measure. It is a full measure for everyone who asks. And what is the water? Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says. The thing that we most need is God. The thing we are thirsting for is Jesus Christ. The thing that actually can only satisfy in all the things that we, we taste and see in this world. The only thing that will last and is satisfies and will last us for eternity is Jesus Christ. His life. His spirit. The truth is you and I have been given a soul and that soul is meant to know God. And we can fill our hole in our soul with other things that are idols and forfeit the grace that could be ours. Only Jesus can satisfy. Are you a Christian who's filled your life with so many other things that there isn't hardly room for Jesus? I'll tell you what, if you have, you're thirsty. You're parched. You're living at 10,000 feet in that plane. You're 12% hydrated. You might not feel it, but your eyeballs are bulging. Your skin is starting to pucker. You're going to get migraines. You're going to get into a real big problem unless you drink of Jesus Christ this morning. 
as the scripture has said. What did the scripture say? The scripture in verse 38, Jesus says, by this he meant the spirit whom those who were to believe were later to receive. Jesus' life, his death, his ministry are all accordance to the scripture. There is a plan for this world. When Adam and Eve in that first garden in a paradise when there was water abundantly were cast out into the world, it became a desert. Mankind still makes the world a desert by our greed and by our exploitation. Everything we go in the flesh, we destroy, we mess up, we exploit, we take. We're greedy, we keep exploiting each other and the natural resources of this world because there is something in us that is not right. And we make a desert, a spiritual desert and a physical desert of this world. But the narrative of the Old Testament, as it leads to Jesus Christ, there is, the, there is one who is coming who will redeem this world, who will put this world back, put humanity back into relationship with God, and that person is Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament prophecies point to this one. It points, Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Isaiah could see what the promise of God was for his people to be a well-watered garden, not a desert. Westminster Chapel needs to be a well-watered garden. People come in here and say there's plenty of water in Westminster Chapel. Plenty of the life of God in Westminster Chapel. And then, of course, you've got the most wonderful passage uh, we find in Ezekiel 47. Again, this wonderful fulfillment in Christ. The, uh, Ezekiel 47, the man brought me back to the temple entrance and I saw water coming from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. And as the man went eastward and measuring, with a measuring line, he measured off a thousand cubits and the water was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through. It was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and it was up to my waist. He measured another thousand. I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. There is from the temple, from that place of sacrifice, as Ezekiel saw it, the place where blood was shed, there was a flow of, light, of water, became a trickle, became a stream, became a river, and the invitation was to wade in, to get into the river of God, and Jesus is that fulfillment. Jesus shed his blood on Calvary to open up a flood, a river that flows through all of history towards his people. And the invitation is, come get in the river. This river is going to the ends of the earth, Ezekiel saw it, for the healing of the nations that we see the fulfillment in Revelation. We are meant to be a men and women of the river of the spirit. We're meant to be daily, weekly, getting into the river, not just ankle deep, not just knee deep and saying, oh, this is rather nice. No, we're meant to get in, so we're over our heads. Over our heads in terms of the fullness of God. So let me finish by an invitation. It says in John 7, by this 
he meant the spirit. He talks about the, the spirit. By this he meant the spirit. And he says in, in, uh, as he goes on, it says, who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus has not yet been glorified. Has Jesus been glorified? Yeah, he ascended to the Father's right hand in glory. That means the promise that Jesus gave here in John 7 is for us. For all of us, for any one of us. I love the way Jesus said to his disciples, who had experienced, by the way, an incredible measure of the Holy Spirit. They'd seen miracles and healings. They'd had him breathe on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. And yet, in Acts 1.5, wait for the gift my father promised you've heard me speak about, because in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus Christ for those disciples. It was a one-off. It was a unique event. But the filling or the baptism, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit was meant for the church in every age, in every day. I love the way in Acts 10, in Cornelius' house, whilst Peter is speaking to Gentiles, the Spirit of God fell on them and they started to speak in tongues. If we're to live the life God wants for us to live as a church, as individuals, we need to be men and women of the Holy Spirit. What's, I just want to just finish with a, a little Greek. Runs a nice restaurant in Soho. No, no, that's a joke. <laughs> there was a Greek um, recipe book written in Greek to describe how you make pickles. And in this Greek recipe book, it talks about taking a cucumber and having boiling water and taking the cucumber and dipping the cucumber in boiling water. That word is bapto. It's the same word used in Luke 16, verse 4, with the rich man and Lazarus, when the rich man asks for Lazarus to be able to dip, dip his finger in the water, just to dip or used in Revelation 19 of Jesus with his robe dipped in blood, a little dip of the blood. So you take a cucumber and you dip it briefly in boiling water. And the recipe carries on. And having dipped it in boiling water, you then baptizo. You immerse. You pickle. You submerged. That word baptist, though, is used 102 times in the New Testament, mostly around John the Baptist, talking about him immersing or baptizing or soaking. It was used for ceremonial cleansing and for washing. It was for used for plunging under a diet, plunging material under water to make sure it's permeated and soaked and right the way through. I believe there are many in this room who... Had a little dip, a little dip of the Holy Spirit. Hey, I had a dip this morning. Had a little bit of the Holy Spirit. But you're not pickled. 
you haven't had time where you've just soaked in the Holy Spirit, soaked in the love of Jesus Christ, soaked in his forgiveness, soaked in his mercy, soaked in his grace, soaked in his power, that you've got up from here and felt full of God. That anybody touches you, out of you flows the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you think I'm saying anything new in the church, let me remind you of what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said. The most vital question to ask about all who claim to be Christians is this. Have they a soul thirst for God? Is their life centered on him? Do they press forward for more and more that they might know him? Great questions. Are you pressing forward for more and more of the promises of God? The promises for you, anyone? Are you thirsty this morning? The promises for you to come and be filled. The wonderful promise of the Father found in Luke uh, 11 is, you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There's an asking there's a thirsting, there is a coming to him, there is a, excuse me, do you mind moving out of the seat because I'm moving down the aisle because I need to go and to be filled and to drink life-giving water. You know what I find most horrendous about my own soul? I will not sometimes cross a church room to be filled with the Holy Spirit, yet I'd cross the, in a plane the nations of the world to go and sit on a beach and to have a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of niceness. I wonder if you are thirsty this morning. I guarantee most people in this room are thirsty. Have you been dipped or have you been pickled? The invitation of the Father is to be pickled this morning. Not to rush through a ministry time. Quickly, pray, 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 pray. All being done. Dip, 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 dip. No. Plunged, soaked, pickled is your inheritance. I want to call every barren Christian. Let's just bow our heads in this moment because before calling anyone forward, I, I just want to call for an invitation for you to respond to God. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and I, can I say, can I first of all call every desiccated Christian, every dry Christian, every thirsty Christian, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're thirsty this morning, why don't you stand? Keep your heads bowed, the rest of us, because there's other categories here. If you're thirsty, say, I want more. God, I want more of Jesus. I want more of God's love in my life. I want to know his power in my life. I'm thirsty for more of God. Stand, please. If you're barren this morning, if you're a Christian where actually you're sitting here this morning and you, all you've done is criticize the whole way through this sermon, I tell you, you're a barren. There is no joy. There is tedium. There's negativity. You're bored with your Christian. If you're bored with your Christian life, why don't you stand? Because that is not what Christianity is meant to be. If you don't have joy in your life, why don't you stand? I want to call every discouraged Christian this morning. You feel like you've been working hard and you don't feel any joy in your life. 
You've got the engine is overheating and there's oil from heaven to come into that engine today and to sustain you and to fill you. Those of you who've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, never spoken in tongues or spoken out in a prophetic way or a, a witnessing way, you're, 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 you're limited in your use of your tongue. The baptism of the Holy Spirit frees the tongue to praise God and to witness to others. If you've never been baptized in the Spirit, why don't you just stand? I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, I bless you for this church. I bless you, Lord Jesus, that you're at the Father's right hand to hear our prayer this morning. And thank you, Father and Son, you agree that you will give your Holy Spirit to those who ask, to your sons and daughters who are living in these last days. You said, in fact, you'll pour out your Spirit on your sons and daughters and they'll prophesy. So I pray this morning, pour out your Spirit from heaven upon dry and thirsty souls. May you quench our souls today. May you fill each life with the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill your sons and daughters right where they are as they look heavenwards. Not to me, not to a man, but to God. May you fill them. Fill them. Fill them with love. Fill them with joy. Fill them with your presence. Fill them with the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Mighty name. We're going to have ministry time. But I think it'd be really, really good to sing this song because we can make this song a prayer. And then I'm going to hand over to Howard and the elders to see which way they want to take it. But it'd be really good to pray for one another this morning. Really good to see us filled with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's worship him. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.